All right, well, my name is Ken Chipchase. I am a church planner in Jeffersonville, Indiana, which is not terribly far from here. It's about an hour and a half down the road, uh, just north of Louisville, Kentucky. If you're in Louisville, Kentucky, and you're leaving, you're crossing the river into Indiana, congratulations, you've just entered Jeffersonville. So that's where I am, uh, planting a church there. Uh, we launched in May of 2021, so we're just past our two-year anniversary there, and uh, the Lord's been very kind to us. So it's it's been a joy. It's been it's been a very huge learning experience for us all as we've gone through this process, uh, but we thank the Lord through it, and um, some of the things that I'm sharing today are really kind of borne out through our experience of just in our church plant as we've sought to get the ball rolling and uh, build within our church from day one a culture of evangelism within the church that is part of the DNA of the church from the very beginning as we go forward. So I, I hope that some of the things that I'm sharing with you today are transferable, you know, to different ministry contexts. You know, I can speak from my own ministry context and the things that I've encountered, uh, but I trust that this will be beneficial and helpful uh, for all of us as well. One of the f- first uh, primary goals that we had when we were first launching, and uh, we had our core group, and we were just getting things set up and getting rolling, is I really wanted to instill this concept within our people, that we want to have a culture of evangelism within our church, that we're not just, hey, we're not just making a church because, hey, we, we like each other and we just want to hang out more. Well, we do like each other, but we have a mission, right? We're, we're planning a church for a reason. We're planning into a community that desperately needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, an area that was, statistically speaking, you know, if we were to talk about the statistics of our area and you know, Christianity and the state of Indiana, our county is lower than the rest of the state as far as people who identify as religious or people who identify as evangelical Christian. And the people that do identify that way, there's again, you know, we, we heard statistics about you know, biblical literacy and things of this nature. Well, our area is very, very low on these things. Um, and so this is an area that's just in desperate need of the gospel of Christ, in desperate need of sound Bible teaching. And so if we were to bring this message to our community, this needed to be something that was part of of our ministry plan. There's an aspect where this is, of course, just a practical necessity. Uh, there's there's a phrase that, I don't know if it's overstating the case, but I think there's some reality to it. We need to evangelize or we die. If our churches are going to survive, if our churches are going to continue forward, if our churches are going to be places where the gospel is taught, where the word of God is proclaimed, if we are not evangelizing our communities, if we're not bringing the gospel to people who have never heard, we're simply going to eventually die out. It's just a, a practical reality. So from that standpoint, we do have to evangelize or die. But more importantly than that, than just the, the pragmatic and the practical necessity, is, is the reality of the mission itself. Like, why are we here? Why does, why does our church, Pillar Fellowship, exist? Why does IFCA exist? You know, we're advancing the cause of Christ, right? We have a purpose. We have a mission. Early in our planting process, we developed a purpose statement for our church. I'm just going to read that statement for us. Pillar Fellowship exists to glorify God by proclaiming Christ that every individual in our reach might hear, believe, and follow Him. We exist to glorify God at base level. That's why we're here. Well, how do we do that? Proclaiming the message of Christ. Proclaiming what Christ has taught us in His Word. Proclaiming His Word. Why? So that every individual, every person we come into contact with, would have the opportunity to hear the good news of Christ. Have the opportunity to respond in faith to Christ. And then through the process of discipleship, we learn to follow Christ together. That's why we're here. There's, there's a missional purpose for the existence of our church to lead others to faith in Christ and to disciple them to follow Christ. And so if that's what we're about, well then that needs to be part of the culture of our church. That's reflected in the purpose statement itself. This is why we're here. Okay, now let's see that reflected within the life of the body itself. So we want to be about the Great Commission. We want to be building that within us because of the missional purpose of the church. And, you know, I know that every pastor that I've ever talked to, every church leader that I've ever talked to, has all agreed, yeah, this is something that we need. Right? We all, we all recognize this. Yeah, we would love it if our people 
evangelize more. We would love it if we heard more stories of people hearing about the gospel or coming to faith in Christ. We would love to have those stories happening within our church. Well, how do we get there, right? What's the process? What's the pathway? And the things that I'm presenting today, I'm not suggesting this is the only way for it to happen. Again, this is just a reflection out of my own experience and some of the things that we're seeing fruit with within our church, and I hope it's an encouragement to others. So how do we get there? And how do we know if we have been successful in developing such a culture within our church? Several of the things are going to be pretty basic. Like, okay, yeah, we already know about that. Well, that doesn't mean it's not important, right? We need to embrace these things and put them into practice. So the first thing that I would say, oh, there's our purpose statement. I forgot to put that up on the screen. First step is really prayer. 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 And this isn't just, okay, yeah, we got to be pious, you know, this is, this is of course, of course we got to pray, you know. No, this is, this is so significant for us. Because you're not going to do this on your own. This isn't happening on our own. This isn't something that's going to happen within our own strength. We need the Lord's working. So I think of uh, Matthew chapter 9, and uh, where Jesus is talking And there's a passage here. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Well, this is a passage that we're all familiar with. Right? We've heard this passage before. But there are several things that really stand out to me and strike me about Jesus in this passage. First, he's ministering in the area. He's going out. He's engaging with people. He's talking to people. This isn't, this isn't just you know, Jesus kind of sitting off to the side and, and not engaging his community and looking out and saying, oh yeah, there's needs over there. No, he's there. He's in the midst of it. He, he knows what's going on there because he sees it right in front of him. The text says he has compassion on it. He loves the people. He cares for them. He ha- he's, he's moved emotionally. That, that word for compassion speaks of an emotional moving for these individuals. And he notices a need. He says that they're a, a broken people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. I don't know if you know what happens to sheep if they don't have a shepherd. I, I was doing some research about this. Uh, actually, I, um, parallel passage. I'm preaching through the book of Mark and a parallel passage in Mark. Or Mark says, makes the same comment. He sees they're like sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion upon them. So I was like, okay, well, what, what happens to sheep if they don't have a shepherd? There's lots of things that happen to them. Sheep are not particularly the most intelligent animals on the planet Earth. Uh, they follow each other around. They kind of bunch together in groups. They follow each other around. They're not particularly aware of their surroundings, and they can easily just jump off a cliff for no reason, and the rest of the sheep... They're just going to go and follow because, hey, we're just following one another. So just off the cliff they all go. They can engage in activity that's self-harmful. Why? Well, it's just because this is what everybody else is doing. Does that sound like anybody you know in your community? (laughs) It's a reality, right? Sheep need to be led to feed and walk. They don't know how to find pasture lands on their own. They don't have like an internal GPS to lead them to sources of nourishment and water. They have to be led there. They have to be taken there. And I'm sure we all know people within our own communities that maybe they're looking for something. Maybe they're hungry for truth from God's Word, but they don't know where to get it. They don't know where to find it. They need to be led to that. Sheep without shepherds are defenseless. They're easy prey to predators. They can be attacked and they have no way to defend themselves. If they don't have someone to tend them, they're their wool will grow, and it'll begin to get matted, it'll get dirty, it'll be heavy, it'll be hot. Parasites and diseases and things will begin to set into the sheep, and they will die suffering in their own filth if they're not tended to. So Jesus looks out into this community, and he sees this need, and he sees all these individuals, and he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And as I was researching about what happens to them, it's like, wow, you know, that really sounds like, like people that I know within my own community. No one tends to them. They will starve, or they will die, or they will suffer from their own poor choices and jumping over cliffs and things. They need that shepherd. 
And so he has compassion upon them, and his solution in this text is this verse 38. Pray, therefore, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We want to see a culture of evangelism develop within our church. And we need to be on our knees praying that the Lord would be producing that within our people. We need to be praying that, that labors would be raised up to go out into the harvest, into our community, where there are sheep without shepherds, desperately seeking food, water, nourishment, care, and protection. And so that is really, this is really where things begin. We need to pray that the Lord would do this. I don't know what your, if your church still has a prayer meeting. That's, uh, that's something that used to be popular years ago, and there's a lot of churches that no longer have prayer meetings. If you do have a prayer meeting, if you think about what happens in that prayer meeting, are the requests centered around spiritual things? Are they centered around praying for lost people? A lot of times they intend to focus on a lot of the physical needs that happen within the church. And I'm not saying those are bad things to pray for. We can most certainly pray for individuals that are sick or ill, have heart attacks, or whatever else might be going on. But if our heart is, is for people, and we want to see the Lord raise up laborers into the harvest, then maybe we need to think about our prayer meetings and how we can center our prayers upon the spiritual needs within our communities. So that would really be where everything must begin. We, we really have to start with this with this place of prayer. We want to see a culture developed, we need to pray that the Lord would bring that about. <clears throat> From there, as we begin to practically seek to work this out, we need to define our goals. We want to build a culture of evangelism within our church, okay? That's, that sounds nice, that sounds good. Well, what does that actually look like? How will we know if we've gotten there? What, what kind of things will we measure? What, what are our metrics for figuring out if we've actually accomplished our goal? The concept of culture can be defined in this way. It's the attitudes and behavior characteristics of a particular group of people. The attitudes or behavior characteristics of a particular group of people. What, how do we think about the concept of evangelism within our group, within our church? What does it mean if our attitudes and behavior reflect a desire for evangelism and an activity in evangelism. So let's ask ourselves, how will we know if we've actually achieved the goal? How do we know if we've gotten there? You know, I think there used to be years ago where we would think about like, okay, yeah, we goals for evangelism. You know, we want to see we want to see 50 people come to faith in Christ this year. Right? We would set goals. Like, we, would, we want you know 25 people to, to walk the aisle or to raise their hand or whatever. We would set goals like that. But goals like that we're not really actually in control of those things, right? We, we're dependent upon the Spirit of God to be at work in the hearts of individuals. So we don't have control over the outcome in those situations. So we need to think about goals that are more, I would say, input-oriented, about things on the front end, okay? Are there activities that I'm doing on the front end that will lead towards <coughs> gospel fruit in people's lives? And so our goals and our, our, the things that we think about should be oriented that direction, are people having gospel conversations within their church? If you have gospel tracks, is, you know, some, people, some churches have like the, the track stand, you know, where you can pick up and people can pick up tracks and pass those out. How often do you have to refill that? That might be one metric of way we can think about it. Is there a culture of evangelism within our church? Well, we're running out of tracks all the time. People are taking them and passing them out. Well, that's great. Praise God for that. Well, maybe our track stand is just sitting there and it's never being touched. These are things that we can think about to evaluate. Are we meeting our goal? Are we having making progress in this area? So cultural evangelism means that people are having gospel conversations with people in their social sphere. They, they are taking the Great Commission seriously. There's a zeal that's motivated by love for people within their community. And so we need to bring some clarity to our goals to, to identify how we actually are accomplishing this. I want to add one more layer to this. Okay, we... We're defining our goal. How do we think about this? Uh, yeah, we want to have a culture of evangelism. We want to have people having gospel conversations. Okay, that's, that's good. I, I want to add one more layer to that about how we know that we've gotten there. We want people to be zealous for the lost. We want people to, to have this burden to be sharing their, their faith with others. How do we know that's being accomplished? Again, we talked about counting, you know, we, we would count conversions, we count baptisms or hand raised or things of that nature. 
how often are prayer requests raised for lost people we've had conversations with? That could be one way that we can think about measuring. Is the culture developing in this way? So, uh, we used to have, uh, before we would have, before we launched our church, we had a Bible study. It was just a Sunday evening Bible study. And before that, we would have prayer time and people would have prayer requests. And so we would, we would pray for those things. Well, are those prayer requests about, hey, you know, I, I had a conversation with Ted. You know, can we pray for Ted? And this last week, I, I, you know, I met a man named Chris. And he expressed some interest in some things. And so pray for him that maybe he would come to church. Maybe I have more opportunity to interact with him. Are our people thinking this way? Are, are, they, are they going this direction? And that could be one way that we can measure. Are we being effective in developing this culture? So when we think about that, okay, those are the different things we need to be thinking about. For our sake, in our context, in our church, what we decided to do was to make a clear goal that we wrote down. This is what we want to see accomplished. This is how we want to see this look that would give us an indication that we are developing a culture of evangelism within our church. And this statement was this. Pillar Fellowship will strive for a culture of evangelism that is evidenced by regular testimonies and prayer requests from various individuals within the church regarding personal evangelistic encounters in their respective life contexts. If there's prayer requests about these things, that would give us an indication, hey, this is happening. They're having conversations. That's what we want. We want people to have the conversations with the people in their various life contexts. And that would give us an indication that that was happening. So that's what we're, in our church, we're working towards. We, we want to see this develop. We want to see people having those conversations and then mentioning those on Sundays or on uh, during our prayer times, during our Bible study times. Hey, pray for so-and-so. I had this conversation. I want to be hearing about those things at different points. If we aren't specific about what we want to achieve, and if we don't know how we know when we've gotten there, we're really not starting off on a good place. We need to have clear goals, and we need to have a clear idea of an indication that we're actually making progress towards those goals. So we've set some goals, we're defining the goals, we're, we know how we will identify if we've gotten there or not. As we step forward, with building this culture of evangelism. Well, there's a little behind on my slides here. <clears throat> we really do have to lead by example. And this is something that is said often, and sometimes it can be kind of trite for us. So like, oh yeah, lead by example. Of course, yeah, we know that, right? It's critical for us. It's critical as the leadership of the church to be leading by example in these areas. If the leadership of the church are not doing the things that we're asking them to do, I mean, at best, it's hypocritical of us, right? Like, oh yeah, you guys go evangelism, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go sit over here and you know, study or something. Well, no, we have to be doing it ourselves. We have to be active in that ourselves. We have to be leading by example. We can't lead from a position of, of just sitting back and not engaging and pointing people, hey, you go do this over there. No, it's come with me. You know, this is come do this with me type of thing. So we have to be leading by example. The goal is to hear prayer requests for gospel conversations. Well, are you asking for prayer for people that you've had conversations with? Are you saying, hey, you know, we're we're here for prayer. You know, I had a conversation with my neighbor, you know, Sally, and and she just was going through this, and I shared with her the good news of the gospel. Pray with her that, that the Lord would use that within her heart. Just simple things like that where we're leading by example, bringing those prayer requests. People will catch on to that, and we'll begin to recognize, hey, yes, this is something that, that we need to be doing as well. But if, if we want to lead by example in that area, we'll say, hey, uh, pray for this person. Well, we actually have to have had a conversation with that person, right? Like, it has to be something that we're doing. If we look through the New Testament, Paul consistently presented himself as someone to follow, an, an example to follow, right? There's lots of texts that speak to this, and it's a variety of different contexts that he says this. So, Philippians 4.9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. God of peace will be with you. Philippians 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I urge you then to be imitators of me. It's 1 Corinthians 4.16. He told Timothy as he's mentoring a young pastor, hey, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set 
the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurities, telling Timothy, hey, you need to be an example to your flock as well. And of course, he told uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.5 that you are to be doing the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Do these things. So there's a variety of contexts in which Paul was talking about being an imitation. Like, like, not all of it was evangelistic context, but there's still that consistent pattern of Paul as he's leading people. He's not just saying, hey, you guys do that, I'm going to do this other thing. That's what the Pharisees did, right? That's what Jesus criticized the Pharisees for. You know, they, they, they put all these burdens upon you, but they won't even lift their finger for that. Paul says, no, no, we, we lead them by our own example. This is how we build this culture within the church, is by doing it ourselves, setting the stage for that within our own lives. So we have to be engaged with that if we want people to follow after that. Different ways that this can look, uh, you know, it's one thing to be having spiritual conversations within your own life. And that's necessary, that's where everything begins. But a lot of times, your people aren't there to witness that, right? They don't see you having those conversations. So how will they know if you're actually having those conversations? Well, it has to be communicated in some way. You have to be telling people about it in some way. But it's good to be doing it in a way that's not like bragging. Like, oh yeah, look at me. I've, I've, I've had 15 conversations with people this week. We don't want to be approaching it that way, right? But we do want to be ha- letting people know about, hey, this is, this is what's happening. This is how I've had conversations. And there are different ways you can do this. And if you're, if you're a pastor here, one of the really simple ways to do this is really through sermon illustrations. And again, you have to be careful about not using a sermon illustration to kind of toot your own horn about that. But you can be very subtle, but still communicate that, that those gospel conversations are happening. You're going through a text, and maybe, maybe there, you had a conversation with someone, and there's something in the text that connects to something that was going on in their life. Hey, you know, I was just having a conversation with someone this week, and look at how this text answers the question that they had. You're connecting whatever text it is that you're studying to the life circumstance right there, but at the same time, you're also letting your people know that you're having these kinds of conversations with people. So it's very subtle, but it's very effective for just being that example and showing that, hey, you know, I'm actually living this out. I'm not just telling you people to do this. I'm, I'm living it out myself. This is... This is an us thing that we do together, not just you or just me. So there's different ways that we can go about uh, doing that and seeking to be an example and communicating that to others. Uh, at our church, we do um, we do regular door hanger campaigns where we go out and we pass out door hangers. From time to time, I get phone calls from people responding to those. Sometimes those conversations are positive. Sometimes they're not so positive. Sometimes they're individuals that are very upset with us for doing what we're doing. But I have opportunity through that. I could just have those phone calls and that would be the end of it. Or on a Sunday morning I could say, hey, you know what? Someone called in response to this and I had this conversation with these individuals. That's very encouraging for the church for them to hear that, hey, these, these door hangers are actually doing something. There's, there's actually activity going on. They're hearing about how that's affecting people. And so that can be another way that just letting people know, hey, there's actually response to things going on. Uh, maybe those people aren't always coming through the doors of the church, but there's the phone call. And so there is some level of fruit there. When it comes to uh, leading by example, I don't, how, many, have, how many of you have read uh, Donald Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines? The rest of you need to. <laughs> Uh, it's a very good book on the spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. Uh, in that book, he talks about different spiritual disciplines. And we all know, like, oh yeah, reading our Bibles, praying, these are spiritual disciplines that we should be doing. He has a chapter in there about viewing evangelism as a spiritual discipline. This is something that Christ has commanded the church to be doing. We are to be making disciples. Well, the best way for us to do that is to view it as a discipline within our lives. That, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe it's every Friday at 3 o'clock, or maybe every Tuesday at 7 p.m., whatever time, that I'm going to set aside a particular hour in my week, and I'm just going to make this a discipline in my life that I'm going to have some level of evangelistic encounter by going out into my community for the purpose of sharing the good news with someone. And that can take a variety of different forms. You can go door to door, you can you know, go to you know, maybe a park and just engage with people there, or... Or just talk to your neighbors. So just like, you know, I'm going to be outside. I'm going to be walking through my neighborhood and talking to whoever I come across. 
It can be a look a variety of different ways, but we have to be disciplined with that and think about, okay, how can I be intentional? Because I can't speak to your lives. I know within my own life, if I am not intentional about things, it doesn't happen. If I do not say, no, I am going to discipline myself for this, and I'm going to set this time aside for this purpose, it, it, it just won't happen. Evangelism, I, I'm not the kind of person who is just the most you know, outgoing, most gregarious individual that just, just naturally striking up conversations with everybody in my community. That's just not my personality. That's not who I am. But if I believe in what the Scriptures say, and if I have that heart for the loss that Jesus exemplified for us, and I'm going to discipline myself for the sake of the loss, for the sake of the love of others. And even if that's not my personality to just be out and out that way, like, no, this is important enough that I'm going to put myself outside of my comfort zone for the sake of other people hearing the good news of Christ. So we do need to lead by example, and we do need to show that within our own personal lives. Well, that's within our personal lives. As we seek to see this growing within the church itself, we want to see this, this kind of catch on and grow. Uh, there are different things that we can begin to put in place that would help encourage that. And I would suggest if there is not very much by way of, of evangelistic programming or evangelistic activity within your church, to start small and to start simply. Don't try to get out and say, all right, everybody, we're going we're gonna to have like a massive you know, street evangelism campaign where we're going to go out. We're going to go out to the pride parade and we're going to start engaging people. It's probably not the best place to start. Start small, start simple, start in easy ways that are, that are easy for people to say, oh, you know what, I could do that. For us, I mentioned the door hangers already. It's been one of the easiest things that we could do. It takes a little bit of forethought, takes a little bit of planning. you got to print up some door hangers. It's not particularly difficult, it's not particularly expensive. And then you got to schedule a time, and we go out for us every Saturday, the first Saturday of the month. Every first Saturday of the month is door hanger day. And we've divided up our neighborhood into zones. And we say, all right, this zone is where we're going. And we're going to spend, we're usually out about an hour, hour and a half max. Where we're going out, we're going door to door, we're passing out the door hangers. And that's it. Super simple, very low confrontation. So for individuals in the church that are not used to having conversations, spiritual conversations, it's just an easy way for them to say, hey, if you've got two legs and can walk, I guess you don't even have to have two legs. I guess if you can just get around... You can do this. Like, it's that simple. You just go up to the door, put the door hanger out, and you walk away. Non-confrontational, not scary, just very simple, very easy. That's a very easy way to do it, just to get your foot in the door as far as beginning to develop this heart and this desire to begin to open things up this way. Evangelism, of course, can be very intimidating for a lot of people. You know, I don't know what to say. You know, I'm not sure if I have the right words to say. Well... We can teach within our churches. We can have a Sunday school class on evangelism. We can um, have a teaching series. You know, go preach through some some principles on evangelism. Do do an apologetic seminar, something like that, where you're equipping your people for the task. But then we got to have ways for them to get out and to begin to put that into practice. There's good resources that you can put into people's hands. Um, one book that was really really helpful and encouraging for me. It's a very, very simple book, and um, you're related to this person. Is your uncle? Your, your uncle, yeah. Um, How to Share Your Faith Without Fear. This is a really simple book. It's an inexpensive book. You know, on Amazon, I think it's, I looked this morning, I think it was about nine bucks on Amazon. You can read it in an afternoon. It's really short. It's really simple. But what I love about this book is that it expresses the heart of why you're doing what you're doing. You know, there's different motivations that people try to put on people to, to get them to kind of go out. And people try to guilt people. Oh, you know, you ought, really ought to be doing this and try to guilt the people into sharing their faith and things. Jay's approach is love people. Love people enough to where you're willing to open your mouth and possibly even embarrass yourself for the sake of bringing the gospel to others. So it's a really simple book, but it's really profound in its approach. And... Uh, yeah, any anyone you, know, you can hand this to anyone in your church, and very simple, easy to read. But there's things like that. There's lots of resources like that that are available to be equipping your people for the task of getting out into the community. And then again, when it comes to the implementation, to start actually going out. Okay, we had our class, we've read the book, uh, we've gone through the seminar, whatever. 
All right, now let's begin to put into practice. Again, starting small, starting simple, door hangers. All right, that's easy, it's small. Another thing that we've done is going to a local park when there's a, there's a farmer's market that was set up at a local park, we would set up outside of the farmer's market, and we would have a booth that we would set up. We'd put up a little tent, put up some signs. Some of the signs say things like, prayer station. Hey, if you got prayer requests, just come to us and we'll pray with you. Got a sign for free Bibles, another sign for free water on a hot summer day. People are just desperate. Oh, yes, I need some cold water. People will come up to us, and they see our signs. They know what we're about. You know, They know they're approaching a church or a ministry of some kind. They're ready and willing to have a spiritual conversation. So this is another situation where it's very low confrontation because these people that are coming up to you, they're already ready to have a spiritual conversation because they're coming up to you. They're asking for prayer or they're asking for a Bible. So it's a very easy way to begin to have spiritual conversations with people that are very ready for those conversations. That's, I call that low-hanging fruit. They're, they're there, they're ready. We're not. It, it's very low confrontation. So that's another way that you can begin to get people out into the community to share with them, like, okay, this is this is a way we can do this, and it doesn't have to be scary, right? These people are ready for the conversation. They're coming to you asking for the conversation. All right, now let's have that. So we start small, and we start simple, and then we build up from there. We can build up from there into other areas that are uh, more... Uh, more directly engaging with individuals, perhaps individuals that aren't looking for that spiritual conversation. When it comes to some of the door hangers, sometimes uh, I get questions from people about like, oh, is that is that been effective for you? And in terms of people coming to the doors of the church, not particularly, at least not often. We have had some people show up from the church from door hangers. Uh, two or three people came through the doors at different points, but they're pretty few and far between. But is that the full measure of effectiveness? We're getting gospel literature out, but remember, part of the purpose is developing a culture of evangelism. So even if nobody ever calls, nobody ever shows up from church, part of this is a training process for the people to be going out into the community for the purpose of having these kinds of conversations. This is a training process for our people, just as much as it is an opportunity to actually engage people for the gospel. And so, by that measure, I can say it has been effective because our people are engaging and our people are beginning to develop uh, ways of reaching people and having more conversations within their personal lives. So, yes, it's, it is effective, it is successful, but in different ways than we might anticipate in terms of it just depends on what your goal is for how you want to define success. Uh, from here, as we begin to build things up, um, taking others with you. Now, as you begin to get people, or people become more comfortable with the simpler things. All right, we're doing door hangers, we're doing these prayer stations, or we're doing these, you know, these stations where we're passing out free Bibles. We can begin to increase the kinds of opportunities that are designed to have more direct conversations with more people. With door hangers. Sure, you're going to run into a few people that might be out and about in their yard, but for the most part, you're not interacting with anyone. With something like a prayer station or something out, the people you're interacting with are people that are coming to you and to your booth. Well, now we want to start thinking about how do we get people into situations where we're proactively approaching other people for those kinds of conversations. People that would not necessarily be looking for those conversations. So now we're talking about things like door-to-door, actually knocking on their doors and looking for people to come to the door, or street evangelism type things where we're going out and we're approaching individuals to have spiritual conversations with them. These are scarier things and, and more intimidating things. Well, how do we begin to have get people more comfortable with that? As they get comfortable with the door hangers, as they get comfortable with the, with the other activities, you can identify people from the church that have been participating in those things. You say, hey, I'm going to go out door to door and I don't need you to even say anything. I just need to have another person with me. There's reasons for that, accountability, there's another witness. Uh, while I'm having these conversations, you can be praying because there's legitimate spiritual warfare going on within those conversations. And so I just need you to be there with me for that. Well, now you're bringing someone along with you, and they can see, you know, this isn't actually that hard. We make it out to be harder in our minds than it really is, but we're having these spiritual conversations, and a lot of people are more willing to have conversations than we might initially think. 
we're living in a time, so I mentioned uh, knocking on doors. That's, that's one of those practices that a lot of people consider to be, you know, that's kind of old-fashioned. You know, we don't really do that anymore. That's something that used to be done years ago. So many people don't even answer the door anymore when you knock on the door, right? And that's a reality. There's a lot of people that maybe used to answer the door. Well, they don't. Now we got these little video doorbells. As you, you almost leave a voicemail right there on the front porch, right? People don't answer the door anymore. But what I have found is that if I go during the daytime, you, you used to be you go door knocking in the evening after people come home from work. If I go door knocking in the daytime, I'm knocking on people's doors. There's more people working from home than ever has been before. And let me tell you something. Some of them are very happy to have an interruption from our work. <laughs> they are. They're like, okay, yeah, I'll have this conversation because now they're, they're taking a break from their work or whatever. So there's, there's opportunity that way. So it's there. Um, and perhaps in a renewed way that maybe there was a period of time where that hasn't been there. So just encourage you with that. Uh, one of the things that you do have to think about if you're going to be taking people with you is the schedule of the person that you want to come with you. Right? It might be that that has to be an evening. Or that might have to be a weekend or something. Hey, once a month I just need you to go with me because I'm doing this thing. Will you come with me? And then they come along. That may mean there's some sacrifices that have to be made in terms of your schedule to accommodate their schedule. But if you want to see this culture developed and you want to see people equipped for actually taking the things that you're teaching them into practice and getting them into the field, you know, I, I, sometimes I use the language of field training. Right, we can equip them in a classroom. We can teach them, hey, you know, this is what you ought to do. This is how you have these conversations. But it's all theory, right? It, it's all theoretical until we actually get them into the field and put it into practice. So that's where field training comes into play. We can go out and then we can begin to have those conversations with that. So we want to take people with us. We want to encourage them to observe. And then along the way, in my experience, I have found that individuals who come with me on this process and they see what it looks like to have the spiritual conversations, after a while, they're asking, hey, can I talk at this next door? They want the opportunity to try it themselves. I've never asked them to speak. But now they want that opportunity. And it's really cool to see people develop that desire as they see uh, this process unfold. So we want to take people with us uh, for the sake of training and for the sake of developing that culture. Now I have one more point, and we might actually get out of here a little bit early perhaps. Um, this last point might be the hardest to think through within our each individual church context. Uh, depending on, on what your church looks like, depending on your context, uh, this one might be the most challenging. I like to encourage people to limit or refocus fellowship events. And why do I say that? First of all, is fellowship good and necessary for a local church? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. We need to have fellowship. Uh, we need to be building up the body of Christ in this way. We need to be developing relationships between individuals within the church. That's how discipleship happens, is through the relationships within the church. So we want to be developing that. We want to see that. But there are many, many churches that have... You know, we Sometimes we joke about that, oh, it's the country club mentality of a local church, right? We're just a group of people getting together. We're having fun together. We're enjoying one another's company. And it's good to enjoy one another's company. It's good that we love getting together and that we love one another and we love spending time with one another. But if all of our events and if all of our programming and if all of our things are all focused around fellowship, and if that's like the primary driving point of our schedules, your church will develop into an inward-facing church that is just very happy and very content with the group that we have, and it'll be difficult to begin to try to get the that's the face outward and towards our community and people outside the church. So we want to limit or at least refocus our fellowship events because the neat thing about fellowship is we don't it's not limited by one kind of event. You can fellowship on the evangelism trail. Right? As you're going out, some of the some of the most fruitful fellowship and some of the most fruitful discipleship conversations I've had have been on in our door hanger campaigns. We're just going, we're walking from door to door, we're passing out these door hangers, and just having a conversation with the people I'm walking with. We're active in gospel activity. We're active in in seeking to reach out to our community and having fellowship in the midst of that. There's other ways that we can have fellowship, you know, 
my wife and I like to invite people from the church over to our house for cookouts or for dinner or whatever else. Developing relationships through that. Well, that's that's fellowship. That's not specific programming of the church. You know, that's not there's not an announcement of those sorts of things. We're just personally inviting people. So fellowshipping is it, it, that's happening. Fellowship is happening, but that actual programming of the church and the actual events that we're scheduling are designed with an outward focus with an evangelistic component to it. And there's fellowship that happens with the volunteers who are participating in those things. Like when you have a when you host a VBS, right? You're you're hoping that, that you have opportunity for the gospel with the children that are coming to VBS. Well your workers are fellowshipping with one another while they are active in gospel ministry. And so we don't have to have a whole bunch of fellowship specific events. I'm not saying Please hear me. I'm not saying we can never have fellowship-specific events. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I am saying we need to think intentionally about how we schedule our programming and how we schedule the events of our church to be focused on having some kind of evangelistic viewpoint. So maybe one of our Bible studies isn't just a discipleship Bible study. Maybe it's an evangelistic Bible study where we're inviting people from our community to come and just say, hey, you've never studied the Bible before, just... just we're just having a really basic Bible study, just kind of an entry level, just so you can see what it's like. People come to those. They actually do. They show up. They're interested. They want to know, okay, what does this actually teach? Even if they're not interested in the gospel, some people are interested in what the Bible actually says. So there's different ways that we can have those conversations, different ways that we can have those different things, but I just encourage us to be thinking intentionally about the programming that we schedule for our churches and how we structure the life of the church to where we can see fellowship happen, but it can happen on mission. It can happen in the life of the church as we're seeking to build the culture of evangelism within our church. So those are the those are the things I have. We want to pray. We want to define specifically what this looks like and how we're going to measure what it is if we're making progress towards our goal. We want to lead by example. We want to start small and simple and then build up from there. We're going to take others along with us as we build up, as we get into the more challenging type contexts. And we want to restructure our events and things to be focused on outreach and reaching out to others. There are other resources that I could recommend to you. Um, There's a really, really good book that's really small. It's called Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus by Max Stiles. Uh, Nine Marks guys published this as part of their Building Healthy Churches series. It's a really good book, and it's one of the few books that talks about evangelism from the standpoint of building a culture of evangelism within your church. I've been influenced by a lot of the things within this book. Uh, it's very helpful, uh, and so, and and I can say again that these are things that we've been implementing in our church, and we're seeing fruit from it. I'm hearing people. They're sharing their faith with other people. They're, they're having conversations with their neighbors, with their people that they work with, with their clients, etc. Like, it's happening. And I'm so excited about that. And I praise God for the way that God is using these things. And I, I hope that those principles are transferable. <laughs> you know, I'm in a church plant context. I'm in a suburban to urban context. This is going to have to look a little bit differently if you're in a rural context. Door hangers and door-to-door knocking looks harder when you're, you know, if you're in a rural context where your houses are a lot further apart. But I hope that some of these principles can be helpful for thinking through how can we be intentional about developing this within the churches. That's all I have. Um, I'm not sure exactly what time we're supposed to be done. Um, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. So can you talk about uh, testimonials? Mm-hmm. Um, how's that working out? Are you kind of prearranging testimonials? Do you just open it up? Do you do it in a service? How's that work for you? So what I what I do, I don't open up like open mic or anything right now. Um, I've thought about doing that. Um, I haven't done it yet. I guess I haven't just gotten bold enough for that yet. Um, but what I do when I hear that these people that people are having conversations, I will make a point to highlight that within the service itself. It's like, hey, you know, Phil shared with me that he had a conversation with his neighbor. We're going to be praying for that today. And I highlight that that way to let people know that these are conversations that are happening. So now, where that looks in terms of people sharing their testimonies, a lot of times we have a we have a Bible study. Before our Bible study, we have a time of prayer and. That's where a lot of those conversations are happening as far as the testimony, like, hey, this is how this conversation unfolded. Let's pray about this individual. 
So it happens in that context. But as far as like the church on a Sunday morning on a platform, I'm usually relating that. When I hear of those things happening, I'm making a point to highlight them. Thank you. I think that's a good way to kind of encourage. That I like that. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I do that, but I don't. I don't share it. Mm-hmm. I don't share my my uh, conversations that I have with the people. So that's that's very. Uh, that's. In, I think that would be encouraging to other people. And one of the other things that I wanted to mention: take others with you. That's that's important too. I just had a. Our, well, my kid, he's 18. We were we went door knocking and we were uh, putting some hangers as well. And we were uh, we had some flyers. We were passing them over. And then there was one particular area that uh, that it was kind of it was it was not a very good neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And then so we went and I told my kids it was told my kids and they said no, I don't want to go there because that's that that's not a good neighborhood. But then but one of my older boys says you know okay whatever I'll go. And then, because I was the one doing the knocking, but in this particular place, he says, okay, whatever, well, uh, I'll go with you, because they didn't want to go to this particular area. Yeah. So anyway, so my 18-year-old, he says, I'll do the talking this time. Yeah. So he was the one that said, hey, you know, how you guys doing? Hey, we're doing this BBS, you know, we're having this for the, uh, for the gentleman and everything else. So they were all like, oh, thank you for inviting us and everything else. So, so I was glad that he took over. Like, you know, I'll take this. I'll take the, yes. I'll take the conversation here. Yes. So, yeah, it's good, you know, how we were saying. One thing I want to mention with uh, sharing your own experiences from the pulpit, when you have those conversations, I think it's really important for your people to know that when you share your faith as a leader within your church and you're interacting with people in the community, It's important for them to know that you get the same responses that they get when they try to share their faith. So when there's questions that get asked or there's responses that people have when we share the gospel, you know, maybe someone says, well, what about this? What about that? What about X, Y, Z? Or, oh, you know, you you shouldn't be proselytizing. You shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. That's good for you, but, you know, I've got my own thing. We get those reactions too, and it's good for our people to know that Hey, you know, it's not like it's not like when I share my faith or I share the gospel that I'm getting one response and you're getting completely different responses. That's actually we're actually getting the same kind of responses from people. And when we share our experiences and we share the things that we have, the conversations that we have done, I think that's really helpful for our people to see. Oh yeah, okay, so they have the same conversations that I would have if I were having those conversations. Um, just something I've done at our church and. I didn't come up with the idea or anything, but just add another element to that is pray and go. So we make the door hangers and we say that we pray for you. Yes. And sometimes we'll just, you know, a group of us will stop in front of the house and just pray. It's typically general if you don't know the people, but yeah. then we'll leave that on there. And it's it's fun. Sometimes you do, you pass them on the sidewalk, you just give them a track. Or, mm-hmm. or sometimes they're on their front porch and so you just tell them from such and such church. And... and like you, I've, I've had little bits of feedback just through email or something. So yeah. Oh, thanks for doing that. But it's, it's uh, so I've, I do that typically in the summer times instead of like our midweek Bible study. We go out and we do that. Instead. Yes. Yes. So that's um, just, so just also the culture of prayer, I guess, kind of fits into this another idea. I love that. And that's, we've done that as well. Our door hangers specify, hey, we prayed for you. You know, that's that's really good. It seems to be most effective, or at least where we are, is, is more like a friendship evangelism. Mm-hmm. And what do you do to encourage? Because most people, I, I myself, I became a believer because I met someone who's a believer and they invited me to church and shared. Yeah. And that's, I think, how most people. So what do you do to encourage that style of evangelism in your church? So there's two things I would say with that. And that's something I didn't really get into in the presentation today, but it is something that I have I've written about in other places. I believe that the organized evangelism efforts that we accomplish within our church, that is, I used the term field training earlier, that's the field training for the organic evangelism that you're talking about, just interacting with people within your social sphere. So as we're going out and we're, we're going and we're talking to complete strangers and we're having conversations, they're being equipped through that process. Oh, I know how people tend to respond to this sort of thing. I can respond this way next time. I can talk about this. And they're being equipped through that process, and it's going to strengthen them and embolden them so that when they have the opportunity to share things with people within their own personal social sphere, their friends, their family, their neighbor, their coworkers, whatever, 
they are more equipped and they feel more bold to have that because they have experience doing it over here. And I've been with them through that experience. Like, I, I walked with them through that experience. And so I think they feed off of each other. And, and, you know, sharing our own personal experiences is another way that we can encourage that. Like, hey, you know, my neighbor Bill, he, you know, fill in the blank. I had this conversation. Let's pray with him. Well, now I'm, again, leading by example and hopefully emboldening them to do the same in their context. So those are a few things. That, that one book I put up, How to Share Jesus Without Fear or Share Your Faith Without Fear, that's, that, that book talks about that in those kinds of contexts as well. So that would be a way that we can equip people for that. Um, but I do really believe that the the organized is like field training for the organic. Okay. So, good. yeah. Content of your door hangers, what do you typically do use? Or, you know, we've done the, like advertising with the church, do you questionnaires or anything? Yeah, what, what kind of content? We've done different things. Um, you mentioned the, the prayer cards before. Hey, we're praying for your community, and then we put contact. If you have specific prayer requests, feel free to reach out. We've had a couple people reach out. Um, most recently, we, we put together a, actually like a like those old newspaper bags type thing. Like back when they used to deliver used papers all the time, there were those like a slip sleeve, and it's got a door hanger slot on it. And we put a few things in there. I just put like a little a little note of just hey, this is who we are. This is what you expect to find in this packet. And in there is a brochure about our church. There's a gospel tract in there. And, um, I think that might have been the three things: the gospel tract, the note, and the and the uh, the brochure. And on the brochure itself, there's a little more information about the church. And on the back, there's a there's the gospel presentation on it as well. So, one of the things that I kind of became, um, I guess I don't know if, I don't know if convicted by is the right word, but um, maybe developed a conviction of is that any piece of literature that we distribute in the community needs to have gospel information on it. That I don't. It's, yes, we want to reach out to our community and you know let people know that we exist and that our church is there. And you know maybe if there are other believers that need a solid church, that they're going to become aware of us through that process. But this isn't just about advertisements, right? This isn't an advertisement campaign. This is this is a designed to bring gospel fruit, and so everything should have the gospel. On it. Yeah. The door knockers that uh, you hang on doors to knock on the doors is just hang it up and go. Depends. So with, with, with starting small and easy, it's just hang and go, no knocking. As we build up and as we have individuals that are feeling more comfortable with that, I do take them along and we do knock. And if they, nobody answers, then we leave the hangar. Um, but it's in the process. Early on when we're just getting started and nobody has experience with this sort of thing, I don't even knock because just, we're just building the habits, we're just building the principles. And then as we get more comfortable with that, all right, yeah, let's start knocking and have those conversations with people. Yes? Hi. Uh, outside guy here. Uh, one thing I would suggest would be the wet blanket. Maybe wet blanket. Look at your local uh, city ordinance and solicitation, and in particular in signage. Mm-hmm. Just while you're doing door knocking, you've been doing it for a long time, promotion, or I think clubs, all that stuff. So look in regards to little, little yes. city ordinances. It's usually city, not county or, or state, but for city ordinances in regards to that. Uh, second, when building or designing anything out, look nowadays, especially for 20 to 40 year olds or 50 year olds, 40 year olds more, look for QR codes for mm-hmm. the new thing. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how to generate one, I'm going to point them to you. Because uh, <laughs> I'm not responsible. Yeah. But uh, QR, QR codes are new things. What we've found out has really gotten it. And in regards, I know we're an evangelism and it's not really into promotion. Uh, on the average, I look at a given year, probably about 100 or 200 churches' websites. If there's not a clear, distinct way to understand what's going on in your website, there's no. Yeah. First of all, make sure there's an evangelistic element mm-hmm. for it for your, for, your, for your website. Make it very clear. Because I can tell you, I look at a lot of church websites that are 1990s and older. And it's because that's what I look for. I look for what is, what is, what do you believe? Where do you go? What do you need? What children programs? And that's not even in some of the websites that mm-hmm. design, or they don't. Churches don't have websites. So in terms of particularly evangelism, um, what I've seen a lot is, is I, I would encourage when you have a new convert, it immediately is part of the process to go yes. present the gospel. 
Uh, George Barton and his research has shown that if an individual doesn't present the gospel to another individual within the first three to six months, they will never present the gospel. The average church has, that the average most common sized church is approximately 50 people. George Barton shows that only 2% of a given church presents the gospel on a regular basis, regular basis defined as once a month. Mm. So that means one person. Yeah. And that means, I'll give you a guess who that is. Yeah. So, I just just a couple thoughts in regards to the angels and the angel yeah. solution. Yeah, that's good. The, you know, the solicitation stuff is something you do have to look into. Um, in our area, you know, we, there's one neighborhood that we can't do anything in. Everything else is pretty free grain. It's time-based, too. A lot of more like after 7 or 8 or something. Yeah. There's a time limit. Most of it's time of day. Mm-hmm. Good, thank you. So, Ken, what, one of the reasons I came because I wanted to hear from a younger generation. Uh, give us some generational input. Do you, do you feel like 30 somethings, younger people, are they open to these conversations? And, oh, yes. Absolutely. And, and, and what do you think are some of the gateways into those conversations? So, are, are you talking about like in, um, in like a personal context or? Like street evangelism type context. Both of those. Both of those those things. I I have found um, there's almost so many. It's hard to it's hard to really start um, where to start exactly. So one of the things I didn't talk about today was open air preaching. I've done open air preaching. Uh, It's it's another one of those things that's like oh you know that's an old time practice. Nobody does open air preaching these days. Or if they do, you know. They're a part of some crazy, you know, church or something like that. You'd be very, very surprised how many conversations will develop just from a simple open air preaching sermon. Now, this is where taking somebody with you is really important because you have one individual who's preaching, and the other individual is interacting with people who are listening. And or sometimes someone's going to come up, they're hearing you preach, and they're going to say, "Hey, you know, I don't like whatever." Sometimes though, those "Hey, I don't like whatever" turns into some of the neatest opportunities because. They're hearing something. They're being cut to the quick by the Word of God. And again, when I'm talking about open-air preaching, I'm not the kind of open-air preacher that's going out hellfire brimstone type thing. You know, you're all going to hell. You know, I'm preaching the gospel. You know, we're preaching. There is. I'm, I'm not shying away from the reality of hell. I'm preaching. There is a, there's sin in the world, and that's why we're in the state we're in. We need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Like That's the message that we're bringing. People are going to hear that and... A lot of people just walk by. There's people that approach and they have that conversation, and it's you'd be surprised about how willing people are with not any particular special topic, without any particular special, you know, like oh, I need to have, I need to go this way with this person because you know of a generational thing. They're just responding to a very simple gospel message presentation. Um, a lot of times, uh, so. <laughs> One time I was set up outside of the farmer's market and I did not know that there was a pride parade scheduled for later that day. And so as I'm there and I've got my booth set up and I've got you know free Bibles or whatever, and it, there I see them starting to set up for different things and I'm like, okay, there, I guess there's some event going on. I had no, I didn't, I just didn't know about it. Well, someone from that was helping organize that event came up to me and was like, oh, are you here to protest? I don't even know what y'all are doing. I'm not here to protest anything. I was just here, here passing out Bibles and sharing the good news of Christ. It's like, oh, well, we're having a pride parade. It's like, oh, well, I'm, that's not why I'm here. But, you know, if people hear the gospel, you know, that's that's all well and good. And he's like, well, would you pray for our event? I'm like, well, Well, I had, I, that actually ended up being a really neat opportunity to talk to that engineer. Right. I said, listen, I love you, probably not in a way that you would believe me if I said that. But I do love you, and I do believe that God loves you. And here's, I can't pray for something that God would bless something that His Word does not approve of. I can't do that. But I do love you, and I do want what's best for you. And he was super cool, he was super understanding, there was no, like, there's no shouting match or anything in that situation. But it was just, just, just being there, you know, in a situation I didn't intend to be, but there's really an opportunity there. So you'd be surprised about just different ways you can have those conversations that 
anything can really be a gateway to spiritual conversations. Thank you. People are more willing to talk about it than... Because people are hungry right now. Mm. People are hungry for spiritual truth and spiritual conversations. It's there. It really is there. We just have to walk through those doors when we find them. Well, thank you all so much for coming today. I hope this is an encouragement. I hope this is a blessing. And um, I'm just going to close this in prayer and dismiss us. Thank you so much, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that that we have the hope of eternal life. Thank you that we have forgiveness for our sins. Lord, that you have welcomed us into your family, adopted as sons and daughters of the King. Lord, give us a zeal for the lost. Give us a burden to see the good news of the gospel of Christ go out into our communities. Lord, I pray that as we seek to develop a culture of evangelism within our churches, that you would build up the body of Christ, that, that that zeal that we would have would be passed on to others and that we would go out into our communities with the gospel, that you would bring about fruit from our efforts. I pray that you would soften hearts to the gospel. I pray that you would give people eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand and believe, and that we would just glorify you in rejoicing to see the harvest that you are going to produce through our efforts. Not because of anything that we do, but because of who you are and the power of the gospel of Christ. We thank you and we praise you for this time. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.